0: Hello and welcome to How to Grow a Pod, the podcast about podcasting from the book How to Start and Grow a Successful Podcast by me, Julie Smith. This is where you'll find the almost unedited interviews by the pioneers of podcasting, the hobbyists and the pros who feature in the book. This week, I'm with the legend of podcasting, the brains behind This American Life, which created Serial, which jump-started podcasting in Britain. I give you Mr Ira Glass. Here, he gives us a masterclass in storytelling and the immersive listening experience and talks us through the iconic blurring of fiction and nonfiction that has made this American life the most copied podcast narrative experience ever. We begin by chatting about what Zoom recording, forced by lockdown, has brought to the podcast.
1: This, this American interviewer, Terry Gross, who does uh, Fresh Air, which is an incredibly wonderful interview show, like, you know, she, I know that she prefers uh, being remote. So she's not in the room with the guest, and also prefers not seeing them. Like she doesn't do it over Zoom or something. She just hears them. And uh, and, it's, it's, and, and I feel like I understand that. It, it, because what happens is the entire conversation is happening in radio space. It's happening exactly the place where the listener is hearing it, and it has the intimacy of that. And so um, so yeah, like I think you can get the same material that way
0: i'm insisting on doing zoom interviews for all these podcasts for the book um because i want to see you i see that i've i've seen a a kind of a cartoon version of of you in jessica (laughs) abel's book, you know which added a whole new dimension i've been listening to you for you know decades it feels um but you know seeing does add a different dimension which i then feel that i can communicate more Let's just talk about the impact of This American Life. First of all, anyone reading a book about podcasting will very probably have started with This American Life or pretty soon have found their way there. It is still, all these years on, the benchmark of great radio. What do you see This American Life now? Is it radio or podcast?
1: It's both. And and for us... um, there's no difference. I mean, I know that there are radio shows that, that don't belong as podcasts. Um, and our radio show predates podcasts uh, by years and years. We went on the air in 1995. and uh, But we were working a format that just happened to adapt very well to the aesthetics of the internet and the aesthetics of podcasting. You know, I think any... You know, like, there's all kinds of radio, right? There's sports radio, and there's news radio, and there's music radio. but But I think, like you know the 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 thing that that we're doing which is narrative stories um you know that is particularly suited to podcasting um you know like like we're doing stories that are stories in the most traditional sense of like oh somebody's telling you a story and uh and and I feel like the way people talk on the show both in the narration and hopefully in the interviews has a kind of intimacy to it that's particular to radio like and and those things work both as radio and as podcasting. So for our style of thing, like the transfer over was 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 easy. And we never essentially, we never promoted the podcast. We just happened to be doing. We just happened to be work. We just happened to be making a product that happened to be good in this new medium that emerged.
0: In a sense, you know, it's what all radio always was, the kind of the idea of, you know, the the whole family sitting around the radio in the old days listening to the story very intently, very intimately sharing that idea. Take away all those other people and you're still having that experience. You're really focusing in certainly with well with this American life but also serial. You know, you're, it's a very intimate experience of listening um, that harks back to something very old.
1: Oh, I agree. Like, like, the things that make the story, the stories on the radio work are, are just the things that make stories work. They follow the laws of just normal storytelling, where we try to pull you in at the beginning with something surprising or interesting and get you involved in the characters and the situation and raise questions that then the plot will answer and and so what we're doing is super traditional, uh, you know, story construction, and and not that different than like if you if you're like laying out the beats for a film or a TV series. Like in fact, when we've made films from um, the show, it's been very easy to talk to the screenwriters because we think about stories in the same way of like which characters are we developing and what are their story arcs and how much do we want to go into this character or this character how long do we want to linger in this moment, and then and then and then something that's like very particular and key to radio is like when do you digress like you're on this you're on this um path where you know like you're going to start here and you're going to end here and then when like you but you want to have like moments where you digress for feeling or for funniness or for just weird things that you noticed in the reporting and um and so the question is like how long do you let that spool out like and and we'll have long discussions over things like wait, in the interview about this guy's life, he revealed that he still sleeps with his blanket from when he was a child, even though he's 47. I think that's pretty interesting. Like, let's go with that for two and a half minutes. And like, but then just can you go with that for two and a half minutes and then come back to the actual story he was there to tell, which was not that. Yeah, it's know? the
0: classic show, don't tell. It's yeah. it's those moments of connection, isn't it? And it's that connection is something that's very important to this American life. It's kind of why you do it, isn't it?
1: I mean why I do it is I do it, you know, for my amusement. <laughs> so you know, and like also there's like a mission y public service part, but but I don't kid myself. Like I do it for my pleasure. Um you know, and th- but then you know, we're working in a medium that's designed about about you know, like like radio it's good when 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 you feel like you can connect with the people on the air and like, you know, we just want to make something as powerful as can be. And so um and so yes, of course, connection is, is is very important. And and radio is kind of a machine for empathy, you know. Where where if if you're, you know, like it's sort of the thing that's built into it that 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 without trying, you know, anybody who, who gets a recorder and a microphone, I think simply the act of hearing somebody's voice and not seeing them gets you closer in on them. And you just you just approach them with less judgment, I think, uh, if you don't see them, and then the intimacy of that uh, is just kind of built into the medium, and so the connection is built into the medium.
0: Yeah. When I was looking through, you know, a lot of the books and listening to a lot of what you do, it, there was one word that kept coming up again and again and again, which was money. You know, you use music to score money. You said money. Yeah, because you use music to score music costs. You spend a lot of time. I mean, a massive amount of time. What did I write down here? Um, You spend three to four months on a story, just one story. Well, time is money. Um, You know, you have people you in your edit, you discuss for ages you you craft this thing you and you've been doing it for a very long time now in the wild west the pioneering kind of age of podcasting which was probably i don't know let's say 2012 to 2014 that kind of area where everybody was kind of starting up and just making up as they went along particularly in this country you know you guys were showing how it was done and people stumbled across the radio lab and this american life and you know Realise what could be done, but then quickly realise that's not possible if you don't have money, i.e. time. Mm-hmm. So I go back to that kind of question that I asked you, the difference between radio and podcasting. You know, this is a very professional, it's a radio series, which is paid for. You are all staff members. You've also got an enormous amount of advertising, obviously, because it is a fantastic product. I just wonder, how much can that contribute to the podcasting world? Um, oh,
1: that's an interesting question. I mean, um, you mean because because it takes such resources to do these stories well? Yeah, um, That's a really good question. I mean, I'll say, for starters, like, you know, we were making these stories before we had money as a staff. Like, like... You know when we started, you know, I remember my senior producer took a pay cut from her waitress job to come and work for the radio show, you know, like and and I took a pay cut from my job, as a uh, as a as a producer for for you know the American equivalent of the BBC for NPR, to start the show. So we were all working for for as little you know as possible, <laughs> like between you know twenty five and forty thousand dollars. And even the $40,000 I was making, I was putting 10 of it back into the show. And there was only a staff of four of us and we put out 48 shows in the first year. Now, I don't recommend that because we did nothing but work. Um, like if we were, either, we were either working or asleep. Um, you know, and now it's so much easier to have like so many more people. But but like as as a model, like I think people can still, you know, like I think it'd be hard to gear up to make a weekly show um, at the scale that we are because there's just so much material. But I think two people or three people could make a limited series that would be six or eight or ten episodes, twelve episodes, Um, and and. And it could be really special, and it would be every bit as good as what we do. Like, like, like this—you know—the skills that we have are skills that anybody could acquire, um, and that we train people into. And and so, like, I don't, like, I think to do it every week for years takes a lot of money, but to do it for like a one-off doesn't.
0: Yeah, you've blazed a trail with a very particular sound—the sound of your own voice but the kind of the intonation that you have as well and I know that you worked on that you know there's a certain hourglass kind of style but but you worked on that particular the the breathiness the spaces the the silences the the rhythm of your narration is very specific to this American life and it is iconic now can you can you talk through why that had to be a thing where that came from initially?
1: I mean, where it came from initially is like, you know, I was I was a reporter on public radio in the United States. And so the way I would read my scripts wasn't that different than anybody on television or radio news anywhere around the world. I like, was trained to, you know, sound like uh, there was like a, a kind of like faux author- authoritative kind of thing going. And I was aware that information on the radio gets through to you more the more it sounds like it's just spoken language and um and so like like i remember once uh, like somebody at npr pointing out that you know with reporters who weren't great readers and read in a kind of like stiff sort of broadcasty way and didn't have a kind of you know like like within like the sort of standard broadcast reading styles are people who are sort of stiff at it and people who are sort of loose and good. And you want the people who are like loose and good, you know? And, um, you know, that's what a good presenter does. They sound relaxed and good. And, and uh, even if they're speaking in a kind of uh, performed way. And um, I remember somebody saying that, like, every time the reporter talked, you would sort of tune out a little bit. And every time you'd go to a quote from a person, you'd tune back in because the person was just talking like a person. And I was like, I, I want to I try to get my narration to sound more like I really talk and and really that's that that because it just gets through to you more as a listener like that that's yeah like like it just it just feels like more and um and so and so to do that before I started this American life I one of the things I did was partly, just for fun to do with a friend, but partly to, I, I consciously wanted to retrain myself and how I sounded on the air. We started a little local show that was like late night, Friday night on Chicago and Chicago radio only, um, that we called the wild room. And then uh, what I would do is I would bring in scripts and quotes and music and mix it live and perform my script live and try to sound like I wasn't reading when in fact I was. And, um, and, uh, and just try to retrain myself into a different way of being on the radio. And I did that for five years before I started this American Life. It was just trying to invent a different sound um, for, for for how to be. And then the fact that it that it's been imitated is like really one of the most surprising like things that's happened to me. Like, cause I don't think of it as like a style of Broadcasting, I just think of it as this is how I talk, or this is as close as I'm able to approximate how I talk when, I'm, when I have like a bunch of plot points that I want to get to. And like, you know, I'm trying to walk you through the beats of a story.
0: The other thing that's been um, mimicked as well is the reflections, drawing attention, signposting, bringing it back. Hang on. Did you notice that something just happened then? People hadn't done that before. Not in classic radio, I I love it. It's one of my favorite things. And it's something that has been taken up and people are doing that. Can I say there's a version
1: of it that always was there? Like, when I was working for uh, the afternoon news show uh, on public radio in in the United States, uh, I was a a tape cutter, you know, as an editor. uh, And it was reel-to-reel tape. And... uh, and one of the people who I got to work with was a very, very talented interviewer named Noah Adams. He was one of the hosts of of their afternoon news show, and and in his interviews, his news interviews and his features interviews, he he did a thing that that is commonly done all over the world: the BBC, the ABC, the CBC, um, and that is like in in the course of interviews, he'll have people tell him stories. And then he'd say, like, okay, so what does that mean? Like, what does that tell you? And like, like, and I feel like anybody who's a good interviewer naturally does that. You have people tell you, you stories, and you say, like, well, what's 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 the point of that story? Like, what does that say? You know, this, you know, like like interviewing a musician. Like, what was the music you listen? Your parents listened to when you were a kid. How did that influence you? What did that do to you? And and I feel like. I feel like the version of that that we're doing—it's it, the same structure. It's it's plot and then idea, um, and uh, and and so and and in his interviews, Noah would do this thing that I do because I edited him, and he was such a good interviewer, and I learned from listening to him. You know, where where people would tell him stories and then he would just throw out different theories about what the story would mean and half of them wouldn't go anywhere and half of them would. And then we'd just choose the best one that was the most interesting tape. And that's basically what I do now. You know, like I you know, when I'm going into an interview, I think about like what's what did this person go through and then what might it mean. You know, and then you and 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 so so and so to say like yes, we very much do this as a structural choice. Uh, because I think um, because I think it gives you the most powerful kind of story on the air, but also like it's just a variation on something that that good interviewers have always done.
0: It's super listening, isn't it? It's it's listening so hard that you're imagining what that person is actually going through, and then saying, "Wait, I I didn't get that, but you didn't say it to me. I'm in your head somewhere." Yeah. And you didn't actually articulate what that bit was. Can you go back into your head now and just have a little rummage around and see what that was about?
1: Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, and if they and if they don't have thoughts, then suggesting thoughts of your own for them to react to.
0: Tell me about, it's a little bit of like what I was talking about before about the time equals money thing. BBC Sounds in Britain has kind of just filled that vacuum, filled that space that was filled with, you know just Wild West pioneers coming in and trying things out. BBC Sounds kind of came in and started owning podcasting, um, bringing lots of money, teams, professionals to it. And has kind of eclipsed that older type of podcasting. First of all, are you aware of that?
1: No, I'd be so interested to hear it. No, are the shows good?
0: Very. A lot of them sound just like This American Life.
1: Do they? Because I feel like I, the last time I was the last time I was in England talking to producers there was probably three years ago or four years ago, and at that point there was a real sense of like. First of all, I had the sense of like you guys are so much better trained than we are. You know what I mean? Like such skilled like writers and and, uh, and journalists, radio journalists, and so and so many of them. Um,
0: yeah, and what they're but, being I think what they're being encouraged to do is loosen their stays a little bit
1: yeah like like the thing i did, but they but, but they weren't making anything that had the power of the best podcasts that we have h- here in the states and so i'm glad to hear that finally they're they're they've like they, they've they they figured out how to how to change to do that
0: there are a couple of them I, I i'm not sure that anything quite beats serial yet um but the one-offs you know the sort of the, the this american lifestyle
1: like what's a, what's a good one if i'd want to hear
0: um, one. Um, shortcuts I'll, I'll i'll send you the list of them
1: i would love to hear some I, i'd be so curious yeah
0: it feels like there's a wildness there's a, a raw quality and you talk about authenticity coming from that kind of pioneering energy you you say just do it you know that's your attitude don't think too much of, well you say do think a lot about it, actually but you just say do it
1: just start making your thing. Yeah, like, 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 it's the easiest thing in the world to not start. Yes. Exactly.
0: BBC has made it very difficult to be in that space of good podcasting now, because you can so all the podcasting awards, for example, go to BBC programs. Now, you might not necessarily be into podcasting for the awards, but if you want to do something well, you really haven't got a hope in hell because you wouldn't have a studio or a technician or a producer or money to, to spend the time on something. I don't know. That
1: seems like quitter talk to me. Like, I just think like, wh- why not? If you have an idea, you can make this stuff for so cheaply.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think so. But I, I, and I do, and you know, I love yeah. it. I, I do it for the love. Um, But yeah. it does feel, in terms of quality, you, there the playing field is simply not level i wonder i wonder if that matters i'm thinking about you know the the podcasters in america who are doing pretty much the same as the podcasters all over the world and how that would compare with what you're doing for example does it matter do you get that kind of feedback from the podcasters what is that podcasting kind of community like in the u.s
1: i mean here like i don't think that that the biggest limitation is money you know i think i think I think there's some people who who have either trained themselves or been trained in how to do work of a certain quality when it comes to kind of this narrative journalism. So, so th- like honestly like that's that's the bigger thing. Um, but right now in the States, like what's going on is that there's a bunch of companies that are trying to make narrative podcasts that are kind of in the style of what what we do and, and there's some really wonderful shows being made. Um over at Gimlet, Reply All and Heavyweight especially are two favorites, and um and um at uh, Pushkin, uh Malcolm Gladwells and Jonathan uh, Malcolm Gladwell's and um Michael Lewis's shows are pretty wonderful. Uh, there's a company called Magnificent Noise, which does this stereo Stere Perel. Like, there's just different places that are doing our kind of thing, uh, and then still public radio stations putting out shows. WNYC in New York puts out Radio Lab and has a bunch of other shows. Our home station WBEZ, puts out a bunch of shows. Some of them really, really good, um, and uh, you know, and individual public radio stations and and people just come up with with different different shows and. Um, and so, like, you know, and so it's a, it's a very dispersed community with, with, and some of it funded by private capital, some of it with other money. Um, and that's in the world of our thing where it takes, where it takes more money and staff. And then they're just like, you know, then there's interview shows, you know, that, that just are huge. You know, and I think of like uh, Joe Rogan, which is like one of the biggest podcasts out there. Um, And uh, on a bunch of times a week and has a massive audience. And he's a good interviewer and he's just fun to listen to. Uh, But even like um, Dax Shepard's show, you know, Armchair Expert is like this massive hit. And it's just him talking to other famous people. And he's just like, you know, he's a, you know, too much information (laughs) revealing person who's so fun to listen to. Um, so, so it's like, you know, and that, you know, and then there's a whole like world of comedians podcasts that are kind of closer to what Dax is doing, like Mark Marin's podcast, uh, what the fuck? And, uh, you know, like that's a whole like subsection. There's like a bunch of sports podcasts and like, I don't even know any of those people. And, uh, you know, and so, and so, uh, and so, you know, and, and obviously like those, you know, one person interview shows are much easier to do.
0: If, the, if 2019 was the new era of big podcasting with Spotify acquiring Gimlet, What's next?
1: I mean, the thing that's going to be interesting is to see what happens in the ad market. Like, 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 you know, the economics of podcasting are such that right now we're funded by advertisers. And if ad rates go down as they have in, in, the, in their digital medium, then it seems like there could be a thing where, where podcasts start to go behind paywalls. And you'd be in a podcast world that resembles kind of the online TV world where you have Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime and kind of everybody's show is behind there and people get subscriptions. And then suddenly people have to pay to get their podcasts, which I think would be a very different world for the listener as well as for the producer. And for those making this stuff, we, we really would like to avoid that. Like our hope is that advertising money still stays alive as a way to fund these things.
0: Thanks for listening. You can buy the book, How to Start and Grow a Podcast by me, Chilly Smith, featuring all the interviewees in this podcast at any bookshop. Or go to chilysmith.com and click on the bookshop tab. And join me next week when I talk to the matriarch of British podcasting, Helen Saltzman.